0: following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series.
1: Welcome, everyone. Um, I'm your program host, Kevin, and I have the honor and privilege of introducing tonight's guest speaker. Uh, sitting in for the lovely Mark Nunberg is Kyoko Katayama.
2: <laughs> she... Uh, <laughs>
1: Uh, she's been a long time community member since 1999, uh, practicing psychotherapist for over 30 years. And she has made it her intention and practice to instill her professional life, her spiritual life, and her personal life with integrity and ease, which I just felt in groves in the guided sit. Thank you, Kyoko. Oh, is, Thank you. That was Just wonderful. I'm
0: glad it worked for you. <laughs> uh,
1: she has uh, completed a two-year study on the Sakipatana, which is the Foundations of Mindfulness, with Matthew Flickstein. And tonight, she's going to talk on, uh, about community and finding a refuge. So welcome, Kyoko.
0: Thank you. So, good evening again. Um, so I'm going to be talking about community sangha this evening. But first, I want to acknowledge the wonderful news that the Senate voted to legalize the same-sex marriage. And um, congratulations and blessings to, uh, I'm just so happy that it happened. So to um, our brothers and sisters, who are now free to marry the one that you love. It's a wonderful news. Um, so about sangha, community. I actually gave um, this talk um, on community on Sunday morning, April 28th, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it happened that the twenty eighth of April is uh was the second anniversary of my husband's death, and so he was on my mind when I was thinking about giving this talk and I wanted to tell you what he said just before he died, something I thought about many, many times since. At his deathbed, the family surrounded him, and he died in our living room after a year of being with cancer. And we were each expressing our gratitude and love one last time. And I was holding his thin, pale hand, tears streaming down, and I said, You helped each of us heal and become a true loving family. You you did that. And he used whatever energy he had left, and he slowly shook his head, and he said, No, Kyoko. We did that. We did that together. So his last words to me, among many other things, was a teaching about community, about how we never accomplish anything meaningful alone. And with those words, he took his last breath. When he was well, he gave a lot to the common ground community. And he, as a treasurer, first treasurer when it was when became incorporated as a nonprofit uh, he laid the foundation for the center's financial accounting system and we received so much from the community too especially when he became ill so through his illness and dying he and i were held by the community and that made the difficult circumstances not only bearable but It added meaning to his dying. So today I want to share some of my own inquiries and reflections that I've been making about community. And I don't have a lot of answers, but I would like you, I'm inviting you to use this talk as a kind of a springboard to make your own inquiry about what community means to you. And another inspiration for this topic was the weekend of retreat, Dharma talks, and discussion with Larry Young here at Common Ground um, in early April. Larry Yang is one of the core teachers of the East Bay Meditation Center in Oakland, and he's on the Spirit Rock Teachers Council. And he has a special interest in making the Dharma accessible to diverse multicultural communities. Larry said on his blog that a Sangha is always about culture. Now, culture is not a word we hear commonly in a meditation center. Like this. In fact, the tendency is not set the notion of culture, tendency is to set the notion of culture aside. But as Larry said, culture is one of the doors through which um, the Buddha teachings are being transmitted. I think an aspect of the culture is that we easily take it for granted because we don't think about it. It's often invisible unless or until it hurts us or makes us uncomfortable. For example, language is an intrinsic part of the culture. We take English for granted. If I say, 今は文化についてお話しします, I think you may suffer confusion or even some frustration if I went on talking in Japanese. This very building we are in also reflects many aspects of our cultures, albeit it may be always, always changing and in transition. From the very building materials of this building, did you know this building used to be Andy's Diner, a neighborhood hamburger <laughs> joint, a perfect complement to the hexagon bar? <laughs> it had a uh, uh, hamburger boy neon sign on top. And in the 90s, it became a Southeast Asian mom-and-pop diner. And now a pristine meditation center with beautiful wooden floors, high-tech, heavy system. When I thought about ways in in which this community is about culture, it opened my eyes in a new way. I was intrigued by the idea of culture as a door to the Dharma. Larry pointed out how the culture of the insight meditation community in the U.S. today evolved only in the last 50 years. The founding teachers of insight meditations, like Jack Kornfield, Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Satzberg, studied with with teachers in Southeast Asia. And when they came back they did not go to Southeast Asian ethnic temples that already existed in in the United States. Instead, they began teaching Vipassana meditation to mostly white, middle class, young, maybe hippie, Americans in the 70s. And Jack Confield wrote, we wanted to offer the powerful practices of insight meditation as simply as possible without the complications of rituals, robes, chanting, and the whole religious tradition of Southeast Asia. So what we think of Buddhism as Buddhism within the Vipassana community is but a tributary of a great stream of Buddhism since the Buddha's first teaching more than 2,500 years ago. Not only it is a strand of Buddhism from Asia, it has inevitably adapted to American culture. So I could see Larry's point that culture is the doorway, and whether we like it or not, We have to go through it. How can I overlook the fact that I could not benefit from the Dharma until it was transmitted in the language I could understand and in the context with enough familiarity to me? And as Larry reminded, the purpose of the door is to walk through it not to confuse the door as a dharma. Don't confuse the door as a dharma. But we need to go through the door. I have primarily thought of sangha as a community of spiritual fellowship where we help one another to support our awakening. And when I thought of sangha as culture an uneasy feeling arose in me. Can I really inquire about Sangha’s culture and as spiritual practice without challenging my sense of order and harmony about the community? What about my sense of belonging to this community? In order to feel like I belong, do I screen certain thoughts? modify my certain behaviors, or dismiss certain important truths. And in doing so, have I compromised my integrity in some subtle way? I felt like I opened a Pandora's box. From the Pandora's box, out came other big questions about community, such as safety, Vulnerability, belonging, sameness and differences, and how such differences may be stratified into different privileges and power. How can we experience our belonging if we don't feel safe? And what makes a community safe? Larry Young said, and I agree, especially as a psychotherapist, that we all have a need for safety and feeling at ease in order to deeply explore our place of healing, our joys and our sorrows, our vulnerable places on our spiritual path. That place is really tender and vulnerable. A community must have a culture where such tenderness and vulnerability can be safely experienced, I thought. Well, today is exactly one month anniversary of Boston Marathon bombing. I was, as I pondered on these questions, At that time, the news of the Boston Marathon bombing pierced my ears like needles. The news hurt. Who would think that a community of runners and their spectators is not safe until, until an elementary school is, has got to be a safe place. Every Monday, I take my granddaughter to her kindergarten in a safe, safe South Minneapolis neighborhood. But our notion of safe community has been shaken by the news. It's true, they are extreme examples, and the chance of them happening is extremely rare. Still, we are no longer innocent. We understand, each of us in bearing remnants of trauma, that one of our children could be dead. One of our sisters, brothers, mothers, or fathers could be injured. And if you're Muslim, no matter how innocent you are, you learn to expect a hateful, hateful look from some people after such news. Safety is not something that can be guaranteed. Not even in a spiritual community where the teachers and participants all aspire to awaken to the Dharma. Where the precept training is a regular reminder of no harm. Not only can natural and human-caused disaster happen to any of us at any time, even in this relatively peaceful community, despite our good intentions, we inevitably hurt and are hurt by one another through a misunderstanding and ignorance. If safety cannot be guaranteed, then what is our true refuge? It's easy to recite that we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. But how do we deepen our understanding of each of of our places in the Sangha? In Martin Luther King's word, our beloved community, So the sense of community comes alive in our heart. So the heart can guide us to skillful actions in the community. So we can lessen the inevitable hurt we cause one another. So we awaken to the Dharma. When we do the traditional metta, the loving-kindness meditation, Remember the first line. May I, may we, may all beings be safe and protected from harm. When we care about one another, we naturally wish safety from harm for one another. Safety is essential for our well-being then safety could be another thing. We take it for granted. Yet we rarely reflect on what it means to be safe as an individual and collectively as a community of increasing diversity. What makes it safe for some people here, let's say, is that they get to be left alone and just practice meditation. And what makes it safe for some people is a warm greeting at the door as they arrive. And some people come here to get away from their family. Some people come here to be with the family. And maybe some people come here, hoping that they can become family with somebody here. And what makes it safe for some people, especially for those of us who are marginalized, is to have their attributes, whether it's skin color, gender identification, disability, or whatever reflected in some way by others. It's hard to have a sense of belonging and safety if you feel like you're the only one. What bring us here to this community, despite all these different ways to feel safe, to feel belonging? For some, the sense of belonging is more significant than safety, especially if you have felt ostracized and really alone. And safety is perhaps more important for some people if you felt beaten and shamed in the past, or as for many of us, if we are simply in the habit of being afraid. Alice Walker said this about our fears. We have to own the fears that we have of each other. And then in some practical ways, some daily way, figure out how to see people differently than the way we were brought up to. How to see people differently than the way we were brought up to. There's a maxim in social science. This is the maxim. In certain ways, every person is like all other people. In certain ways, like some other people. And in other ways, like no other people. All of us want to be safe, but how each of us find safety varies Depending on many things shaped by causes and conditions of personal and uh, personal and cultural history, and how each person finds their resiliency to survive difficulties and contribute to her safety and that of the commu- her community is completely unique. Nobody else has the exact same makeup as you. Nobody else has exact same causes and conditions as you. Considering such complexities, it's amazing how each of us daily navigate our way through our differences, multitudes of conflicting needs and aspirations. Right here, right now, in this moment, we are a community with a shared desire to awaken to the Dharma. And we all practice. But if I can read each of your minds, there will be a hundred different approaches to practice to the Dharma. Just as emotion is a universal human experience, but how and when it's, exp- it's expressed, varies with each person. We are so alike, yet how each of our lives unfolds in a particular way is completely unique. So, I'm halfway through my talk, and I think I'm getting too serious and too heavy in my inquiries into community, and I believe, and more, more and more, increasingly, I believe that um, humor adds to sense of safety. So I want to bring some humor here. Now, the funniest thing about me is that I have no sense of humor,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I got some help. <laughs> Here's a quote by Zora Neale Hurston. It seems to me that trying to live without friends is like milking a bear to get cream for your morning coffee. It's a whole lot of trouble and then not worth much after you get it. Ram Das I think most of you know Ram have um, founded um, a charitable organization. Um, and sometimes the discussions in... Um, Foundation's boardroom got really serious. So finally, one time, they put a mask of Groucho Marx with the bushy eyebrows, you know, and huge nose and glasses in the center of that table. And whenever the energy in the room got too heavy, someone would put on the mask, and then everyone would break into laughter. When we can laugh, we know we've regained a larger perspective. Have you ever realized that when you laugh, you, some of you just laughed. When you laugh, we go, ha, ha, ha. Right? And in the ha, there's a release and relief of something that got too tight. Ha, ha, ha. And after the exhale, ha, ha, ha. Then we inhale deeply. Now, have you ever tried to laugh in reverse? So instead of saying, ha, 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 you go, ha, 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 It actually looked like panic attack.
2: <laughs>
0: so humor helps some safety and loosen up. We meditate and we come here to the spiritual community to a varying degree, because we all realize we need one another, one another's eyes and hearts to awaken, as surely as we need food and shelter to survive. We need our differences and our shared aspirations. We cannot underestimate the importance of the awakening we bring to one another, Even if we come here to just sit and hardly interact with anyone, it's not the same as sitting alone in your private space. I think most of us have the experience of the power of sitting quietly with the whole community. We just did that about half an hour ago. You can feel the difference the power of others practicing and aspiring, joining with yours, creating certain energetic resonance and momentum. Each person who comes here becomes an integral part of the community. Each of your presence, each of your practice matters, not just to you, but to one another, to the community. Please remember, you matter. Your presence here matters. Your practice matters. What other practice would deepen our understanding of our beloved sangha? to awaken the sense of safety and belonging that cannot be taken away by external events. The Vietnamese Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh coined the term, I think he did, "interbeing," to represent the Buddhist principles of impermanence and no-self characteristics which reveal the interconnectedness of all beings. This simple term of interbeing succinctly reflect the profound Buddhist teaching on dependent co-arising. In the book called *Sounding in My Heart, Thich Nhat Hanh talks of, ma- of a Zen master who uttered, if this speck of dust did not exist, the entire universe could not exist. Think about that. Thich Nhat Hanh says when we deeply penetrate the principle of interdependence, we see that this sense of separateness is false. Each object is composed of and contains all others. We are made of each other. We are made of stars. Thich Nhat Hanh said, there is no phenomena in the universe that does not infinitely concern us. From a pebble resting at the bottom of the ocean to the movement of a galaxy millions of light years away. Martin Luther King, who was a friend of Thich Nhat Hanh, had a similar understanding. He said, we are caught in an, an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. From that understanding, we can also say that there is not a single phenomena and not a single person in the community that does not intimately concern, concern us. Nisargadatta, many of you may know this quote, said, love knows we are everybody and wisdom knows we are nobody. In love, we see ourselves in others. Caring for you is not separate from caring for me. Only in community We can begin to understand this profound truth of interconnectedness. This is our practice for awakening to see how I am everybody and everything. And at the very same time, none of this is personal and we are nobody. There's no self to be found. Even in Minnesota, Caring for one another is not about being nice. (laughs) It's because love is all there is, boundless and vast, without an end. Ananda asked the Buddha, spiritual fellowship must be at least half of the spiritual life. No, Ananda, the Buddha said. It is all of spiritual life. Spiritual fellowship is all of spiritual life. The principle of intervening brings deeper and wider understanding of the practice of dana, generosity. When we think of dana, sometimes we think of it as giving something in exchange you give me this, and I give you that. The underlying assumption is that what we have to give is finite, because we often associate it with money. We think of it as a pie, and we have to slice it carefully, because it could run out. And that is an important consideration, and we do all need to responsibly steward Uh, finite material resources. And when we understand how we inter-be or inter-are, we also understand when we give in the very act of giving we receive instantly. It is not an exchange. Giving is at once receiving from the perspective of interbeing where you are where you are in me and i am of you in the infinite net of interconnectedness where everything is changing and cycling without an end generosity is a letting go that fills you up as you release a single act of generosity reverberates like a widening circle of goodwill. Then we can see that generosity doesn't get limited by monetary giving. It could be a smile. It could be picking up a piece of trash that someone just dropped. It could be letting someone know from your heart how much you appreciate that person. It could be saying, I love you. Or it could be letting go of that person. It could be telling a difficult truth. Deep listening and speaking from your heart are an act of generosity. I invite you to explore all the ways you receive when you give in this spirit of generosity, where giving becomes letting in the trust in the community of interbeing. Let's talk about some more skillful practice for this beloved Sangha. Deep and embodied listening would be a very important and useful skill to cultivate. Deep listening is to calm the mind for an attuned and attentive listening, moving beyond one's ego's persistent desire to put the focus on the self. Breathe deeply and sense your own body breathing and listen With your whole being. Listen to not just the words of another, but also the spirit. Imagine the safety one might feel when we are listened to so deeply. Imagine the healing that could happen when our goodness is reflected by a deep listener. Now I don't want to end this talk on community without acknowledging that community life is not always easy. There are ambiguities in our roles, and there are misunderstandings and projections we make all the time. Despite our good intentions, we hurt one another. Jack Confield wrote, "If we." If we expect community relationship to be ideal, spiritual, friendly, and enlightened, we are seeking what we can't even expect of our own minds. To want the company of others without suffering is unrealistic. In a wise spiritual community, we acknowledge our difficulties and choose to help one another anyway the foolishness of others, the frustration, blame, and conflict we encounter, the struggle and betrayal, can all be met with a bow. They come to us as Mara came to the Buddha, to awaken us to compassion, yet again and again. And I would add to deeper acceptance of our humanity and practice of forgiveness. May we find forgiveness for the inevitable hurt we bring to one another. May we find forgiveness to inevitable hurt we bring to one another. On his last day here, at the end of the community discussion on community, Larry Yang offered the blessing cord ceremony. This is from that ceremony. So we sat in a large circle, and we each received a multicolored cord. Traditionally, the cord is red, and red signifies blessing in um, um, Asian countries. But Larry gave multicolored cord, and he said, the colors represent um, the colors of all the robes um, of the monks of uh, different traditions. And, um, and then he invited us to make three knots on the cord for three refuges. And then we helped one another tie the cord on our hand or on the neck and helping to tie the cord or the thread on the other person is a really important part of the ceremony. To take a refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha means to take refuge in the possibility of awakening, to be on the path of truth, to rest in love that has no beginning and no end. The energy that imbues the vast, endless, indirect net of interconnectedness. To remember that we are never alone or separate in this process of awakening. Even when we think we are, even when we think we are alone, we are still held To remember that we each want to be happy and free of suffering. Even when our ways to be happy may be so different. But to take refuge in awakening to path of truth and in love is the only safety that I can ultimately count on. It makes me brave in the face of tragedies and hardships. And it makes me humble in the face of exuberance. As Jack confield said, because everything that happens becomes an opportunity for awakening. I am safe even in the face of death when I take refuge in that which that does not die. And all this is possible because of you. So, I want to end my talk with this poem by Hafiz. And it's called with that, more language. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, Love me. Of course, you do not do this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. <laughs> Still, though, think about this this great pull in us to connect? Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, Love me. Of course you do not do this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this. This great pull in us to connect. This great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying, With that sweet moon language, what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. So, comments, discussions, questions. Request to repeat the
2: poem. Yes. Uh, just after thirty four years I can marry my partner, after, after thirty four years I've been marrying my partner. You can what? Marry my partner.
0: Mir- marry your partner. Yes. yes. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. And many others.
3: Um, I'm sure you spoke more to this, and I was not making the connection, but I'm interested in hearing more about, um, not letting the door be the Dharma. Um, I wasn't following that thread, but I really want to. (laughs) Would you speak more to that?
0: Um, okay. So, uh, language is the easiest one. Um you know, because I kind of crossed many languages. English is not my um, mother tongue. It's my second language. Um, so I think about language a lot. Um, so, and I, you know, thinking about this, I really thought if if the teaching was not given to me in English, because I understand mm-hmm. English now, um, I would not have access to the Dharma. And and once it was given to me, including Buddha's instruction, you have to experience it for yourself. So a concept that is given to me, but then I have to experience it. I have to have relationship with it in my body, in my own experience. So language is, to me, a really good example of a doorway but it's it's not dharma it's just words it's just abc Yeah. um this, so that's one example um or a lot of you know in in uh, vipassana community we don't do a lot of the uh, cultural stuff like in zen you know the the robes and, and all that the, the cultural stuff they do it's by themselves they really mean nothing it's 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 the finger that points to the moon is that yes
2: helpful
3: yes it is helpful and it
0: uh, relates
3: to my experience with this sangha in particular when I first started coming here um, almost a decade ago I very related to community I had a really hard time um, connecting with people because of being queer of not being middle class um, and I was putting a lot of assumptions on projections on the people who were members um, I think that was, I think I was confusing the door and the dharma, like I could hear the dharma and I wanted to connect with it, but I was so focused on not belonging um, and I needed to separate from that. Mm-hmm. So that explains a huge chunk of my experience with practice because I think I needed to step away from that door and stop confusing the dharma or uh-huh. the door. Um, now coming back, my relation and perspective to it is very different. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's it's really easy to confuse, you know, the words and the spirit behind the words, and 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 the Dharma is beyond concept, you know. So yeah, and and I think that's that's why I appreciate it, Larry saying, you know, community is culture because. We do take a lot of things for granted and, 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 and the culture becomes, bec- because we take it for granted and we don't think about it, they become invisible and yet they have powerful effect on us and how we practice and, and how we experience the community. So, I, I mean, I, I like all of us to continue to reflect that Door is not the Dharma, but we need to go through it, and or like the vehicle of um, you know once they help you to carry across the river, you don't keep on carrying the the boat, you leave the boat on the river, so you go on your journey.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm Kathy. I was just recently uh, fortunate enough to participate in uh, 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 one of the retreats at uh, Holy Spirit, and I was thinking about how, uh, which uh, a gift it was for the safety there, and just having such a strong sense during that uh, residential retreat of, of safety and amazing, amazed at how close I felt to people I didn't know at the end of it, mm-hmm. and, and was just reflecting on that when you were talking about safety in a community, because I probably, I felt much more intensively part of the community there probably than, you know, I'm probably one of those people who doesn't interact a lot when I'm at this center here. Um, and then you know, maybe this is slightly tangential, but I had also been reading something uh, by, uh, I'm going to say his name right, Eli Miesel, you um, know, mm-hmm. who, and there was a quote about how uh, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifferent. Mm-hmm. And, and I was thinking in terms of safety, maybe that it was such an intentional, caring environment, and how uh, that can really nurture a person. is just amazing. Thank you
0: May our practice Our goodness May our aspiration For awakening Benefit ourselves And all beings everywhere Thank you